welcome this morning. We are uh, kind of really on the front end of a series called Understanding the Spiritual Journey, where we're looking at different decades of life, looking at what Scripture says about uh, how to navigate those decades well, looking at some of the relational and spiritual and psychological and emotional challenges that each decade perhaps holds for us. And we're hoping that through this series, a few things will happen. Number one, we're going to have an increased level of self-awareness, not just for what's going on for our stage of life, but especially as we move through the decades and as we become more seasoned, I won't say old, I'll say seasoned, more of a life veteran, uh, this series can maybe help us make sense of our journey in new and uh, helpful and, and hopeful ways. And also, I hope that this series expands our awareness of how God has been working in and through sometimes the chaos and mess of our particular stories and doing something genuinely redemptive and seeking to do something purposeful in and through our lives. But before we dive into the decade of childhood, why don't we just take a moment to stand and greet each other, just say good morning, stretch our legs, wish a little blessing on each other. Go ahead, take a moment. this morning. Uh, Not just the baby dedication of Jacob, but uh, just some exciting news to bring to your attention this morning, probably more, yeah, probably about now, I would assume. Uh, Junction uh, Junction Church is in the process of uh, doing four, potentially even five baptisms this morning. So that's awesome in terms of new life, new life in Christ emerging in and through our community. Really, really awesome. Okay, let's start by looking at a snapshot of life in the childhood decade. The childhood decade is a time of enormous developmental changes on every level. So between 0 and 10 years of age, really every 3 to 6 months, children come into new capacities that they need to learn to adapt to and manage. And this is just at a very, very rapid pace. So I want to talk about what's happening at, on kind of a 30,000-foot big-picture view, and then we'll look at uh, how that plays out at the ground level. So what's happening in terms of the big picture? Children are attempting to develop what some psychologists would call a container. I'm using the word container as an analogy to say that which holds together all the stuff of their life. Some psychologists might talk about ego strength or ego consciousness, There might be different words for it. I like the idea of a container because what children are trying to do, they have so much coming at them, so much internal change, they're trying to come up with a solid center through which they can make sense of these experiences and adequately adapt and move out into the world with confidence in a sense of I kind of know what's going on and I know how to um, move into the challenges that I face. So children are in this process of trying to piece this container together. And they're trying to manage the continual and rapid growth that they're experiencing. Again, remember, this is happening on every level. And a child's world has so much internal change happening that it's very important for children, and this will help you make sense when you hear this from psychologists or uh, different experts, that there's a lot of consistency and predictability that they need in their external world. There's so much internal 
I wouldn't say chaos because it doesn't necessarily always feel overwhelming, but there's so much uh, change and development and adaptation that's demanded of the child in terms of their interiority. The more stable and predictable and consistent their external world is, it helps them to manage that and to help build that container, that, that centerpiece of, of integrity, like literal integratedness of their person. What's happening on the ground level? Well, if you look at like physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually, physically children are seeking affirmation and nourishment. Children need to be touched. They need to be held. They need physical displays of affection. And obviously they need to be fed and cared for. Diapers change. Emotionally, children are seeking love and belonging and security. Psychologically, children are seeking clarity as it relates to boundaries, expectations, consequences, Kind of, is life a sandbox? And if it is, where are the walls? Is the whole thing a sandbox? Are there, uh, the world is a big, big place, and children are trying to get clarity on, on boundaries. And spiritually, children are in the early stages of identity formation, certainly once they get into the uh, latter part of that first decade. The early stages of identity formation and worldview formation, their, their view of the world. Their experience, experiences come at them fast and furious, and like a child trying to put a jigsaw puzzle together, they're trying to figure out where do all these pieces fit so that they can stand back and say, oh, okay, that makes sense. This goes here, that goes here. I see the big picture. I can move into the details. Obviously, they don't do that consciously, but that is what they're doing. Children are often asking big questions about life and death and God, the meaning of life. You know this. We've been having it conversations uh, with our family, certainly around ages three to six, some of these big sweeping questions about God and who made God and where did God come from and, and uh, these larger-than-life questions that sometimes as adults we don't feel like we have time for, and this is right at the forefront for children. What are the major spiritual challenges of this decade? Well, I would certainly argue that one of them is developing trust. Developing a tr- fundamental trust and a posture of trust such that they can move into the world with confidence and with hope. Psychologist David Rico says, trust isn't an either-or proposition. It's really a matter of degree. It refers to a capacity to trust, which may have been limited or disturbed in our early life, because that's where we first learned to trust. Trust is basically a feeling of safety and security. And when that didn't happen in our early life with our parents, our capacity to trust became limited. It was stunted. A woman uh, wrote this. She said, My experience growing up with a father who was absent from my life has affected my capacity to trust in other human beings and to even trust God as father. The same trust issues that arise in my childhood and in the childhood of those who suffer from some form of abuse or neglect as children, instead of learning to trust children go into a self-protective mode. And since our spiritual relationship is a relationship built on faith, which is active trust, not on sight, this plays into our earliest posture towards God and towards the nature of reality. And in our um, kind of our, um, uh, our personal default in how we engage the world and engage relationships. The experiences of a young child and those, um, the experiences of our childhood 
will play into our relationship with God and dramatically shape our faith moving forward. It's the trust built in our childhood at a young age that translates in our capacity to trust God in our relationship with him. And inversely, it's the trust that wasn't built in our childhood at an early age with interferes and is a stumbling block in our capacity to learn to trust God in our relationship with him. So one huge, huge spiritual challenge of the childhood decade is developing trust. And the second is overcoming a lack of nurture and care from adults. Probably shouldn't come as any surprise, certainly shouldn't come as a surprise to, um, if, if you are a Christian, where the scripture clearly says, everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody is a sinner. Everyone has missed the mark. It shouldn't come as a surprise that we are all spiritually damaged, broken people. And that means even with the best effort and the best intentions, we are broken people trying to raise children into wholeness. And often into a place of wholeness that surpasses what we've uh, managed to uh, maybe cobble together or work through uh, at this stage of life. So I want to make it clear that all children get raised by sinful, broken parents. And so all children have to go on this journey of coming to understand that there were, to one degree or another, areas of tremendous lack, um, lack in guidance, in love, in affirmation, in care, in nurture. And the coping strategies that children develop uh, pretty early on, actually, to account for this um, really sets the stage for the rest of their life. And as we move through the decades, you're going to see how um, the rest of uh, our lives can be shaped in a fairly negative way if we don't become aware of um, the deficiencies that we experienced in childhood and learn how to seek God and to seek uh, other people for healing in those areas. Um, a, f- a few things that... Are, one thing that I want to mention, um, I, I, I wasn't sure exactly where it fit. I, I think it fits here. Um, in our society, generally speaking, we have so much information about childhood needs and stages of de- development and what's supposed to be happening here, what do we need to give our kids in terms of the best food and the best education and all these things. And so in, in some ways, culturally, parents are more empowered than they've ever been to help their ch- children thrive. But I, I do find it interesting that uh, I would observe... Um, for a lot of people, they're very intentional when it comes to the physical care and nurture of their children, being very aware of what goes into their children's body, very aware of their child's relational and emotional development, <clears throat> very aware of psychological needs that their children have, um, self-esteem and strong sense of self-worth. And parents are quite intentional in a lot of those areas to say, this is what needs to be done, and this is what we need to avoid. This is the path to life. This is a path to death. And we're going to really make sure our kid has all these advantages over here because we want them to experience life. But then something uh, that to me doesn't make sense happens. There's a bit of cognitive dissonance. Because then when it comes to things spiritual, 
that's when a lot of modern-day parents take their hands off the wheel and they essentially say, I don't want to impose stuff on my kids. I want to let them discover for themselves. And for some reason, in that area, broadly described as spirituality, and you can obviously include morality in there, but just the broader questions of life's purpose and faith and God, um, it seems like a lot of parents, uh, whether they're even of faith or not, uh, abdicate in some ways some responsibility to bring the same level of intention that they would in these other areas. This is good for you physically. This is not good for you physically. We're going to really try and support and promote these values. Spiritually, uh, who can say, I don't want to be pushy. That's a very subjective thing. It's a personal thing. We'll just kind of let our kids free float and hope that things turn out. I think that's unwise. But there are a lot of children, um, and maybe more and more every decade or so, that are being raised in that kind of hands-off environment when it comes to spiritual direction. And I think that's really important to note, and it's important for us to understand moving forward, because gone are the days where if a family comes to our church and they have little kids, they even have uh, basic building blocks of categories of faith or God or life. Because for a lot of people, what has happened is out of some well well intentions, they've moved away. They don't want to be pushy in that area. Maybe they felt like they came from a tradition that was very pushy on them. The pendulum swings. And um, I I think N.T. Wright had the story in um, one of the neighborhoods in London. And he was walking around. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time. Uh, Or not Canterbury, one of the other ones. And um, a a child about the age of nine uh, uh, was playing some soccer and uh, he was talking with them and they were just just checking in on the neighborhood. And the, the boy looked at him, and he looked at the, at the crucifix. He was wearing a crucifix, and he said, who's the man on your necklace? Like just no, like no Christian iconography at all. He, just, he sincerely didn't know that had anything to do with God or religion or anything. Who's that man hanging on your necklace? What is that? Children need to be nurtured, but our society seems to be very lax in providing nurture and care and direction in the spiritual area. And that leads to a huge vacuum that children are looking to have filled and children need to have filled. Let's talk about the Bible and children. Scripture consistently emphasizes the tremendous importance of this decade. Throughout the Bible, there's an uh, enormous value placed on children, which is actually really rare for ancient cultures. We're a very child-centric culture where we just want the best for our kids. We want them to exceed us in terms of upward mobility. Ancient cultures didn't think like that. Part of it was high infant mortality rates, um, but part of it was just philosophical. Children were pre-adults. And until you became an adult, you didn't really have much to offer. And so when Scripture comes along, as we're going to see, and puts before us the supreme importance of children and their value, from a 21st century perspective, we can say, well, obviously, but this was not obvious. These two scriptures that I'm going to put out in front of you were revolutionary within their ancient context. There's no other parallel to them. The first is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy is a series of sermons given to God's people as they're about to move into the promised land. Moses is not going to see the promised land. He's not going to move into it. And this is the generation, generation that was... Um, 
held back, has died off, and now this new generation is going in. And this is kind of the pep talk before the big game. You're about to move in and claim what God has given you. This is what you need to know. And Moses says, These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Principle there, impress them on your children. Children are not designed to figure things out for themselves spiritually. In the same way that you would never empower your child to make their daily food menu. That would be disastrous. They would be happy in the short term. But you would be, in one sense, uh, putting them under a death sentence long term. And spiritually, God says to his people, impress these commands on your children. Do not let them just float adrift. Show them my ways and my truth. When parents say, I want to let my kid figure that out for themselves, to me, that sounds like a parent who wants to relieve themselves from the burden of parenting. And that is not okay. I think for any parent, it's doubly not okay for a parent who says, I'm a disciple of Jesus. We need to be guiding our kids. We need to actively instruct our children in the way they should go and explain why that is the case. Not just because the Bible says so or because I say so, but our understanding of the Bible needs to be such that we can say, this is why God tells us not to lie. This is why when we do these things, it leads to death. And when we follow God's ways, it leads to life. And notice who Deuteronomy 6 is addressed to. It's not just the parents and the grandparents. This address is to every single person in the room, so to speak. These commands that I give you, people of God today, are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. God is saying, these children aren't just the responsibility of their parents or their immediate kin. They're the responsibility of the community. These are your children. You don't get to abdicate responsibility because, oh, that's another family, and yeah, that's fine, whatever. Baby dedication. Are you going to support, encourage, pray for Benjamin and Brittany and Jacob? And the community says, yes, we will. Because God says, in a mysterious but important way, we are called to help parent Jacob. He is part of our family. Again, that was a radical idea within the context of a pagan culture. If you turn to Matthew 19, there's a pretty famous story. It begins in verse 13, where Jesus rebukes his disciples, which means he pushes back, he gets angry at them because they do something. And this is what happens. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. They rebuked these people bringing the little children. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. This is a good uh, scripture to make sure we're accurately imagining. 
and seeing play out in the theater of our mind's eye. In the Gospel of Mark, it says Jesus was indignant. He was ticked that his disciples would see these little children as an interruption in this scheme of what really mattered. He was teaching, he was doing stuff, healing people. Little children are brought to him in order to receive a blessing. Do you, do you realize who this guy is? This is Jesus. He has, I'm sorry, he just has bigger and better things to do. So if you could just chew. And Jesus is indignant. He doesn't say, let the little children come. Just, it's, let the children come. Don't hinder them. Don't hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. In Jewish culture, it was customary for mothers or fathers or even older siblings to bring younger siblings to a, a great man to have them bless them. We don't know why the disciples really um, hesitate in, or, or, or push the children away from Jesus. We're not given the reason, but it's something to do with the fact that they're seen as an interruption or an inconvenience. And I think that's something for us to pause and think about. Think about the ways in which our culture often, sometimes it's not subtle, but often subtly infers that children are an inconvenience, that children are an interruption to our life, the good life, the kind of life that we're really after. Children can be seen as a burden and a hindrance because they limit our personal freedom. They certainly limit our financial flexibility and freedom. And yet Jesus says, these little children have a central place in my kingdom. And later he's even going to say, you're not even going to be able to enter the kingdom of God. You're not even going to be able to yourself personally um, move into the new reality of what God is doing in and through me unless you become like a child. They actually become your role model. So far from even just being second-class citizens, Jesus raises them up and says, you're actually going to have to study these children, these children in their midst, midst with which you may be presumed to be an interruption, but the, this is where God is doing a big thing. And the kingdom of heaven is only accessible to those who learn to approach God like these children are trying to approach me. We cannot view children the way society views them, as burdens, as interruptions, as inconveniences. Children are to occupy a massive place of value within any Christian community. This idea that children can be an interruption, an inconvenience, a burden, is something that has tremendous systemic ramifications, not just in an individual's life, but for the life of a community of faith. Many of you will recognize the name Tony Campolo. He's a Christian sociologist, speaker, author. And <clears throat> what he did at one point in his life, he had heard that his church had shut down. The church where he grew up and became a Christian had closed their doors. And so being a sociologist, he said, I wonder what were the reasons behind why that happened? What were some of the di dynamics involved? So he started to do some digging. And he went through the old church records of that church and he located them, and he began rifling through them. And he just realized the, 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 um, the amount of information was huge. He didn't really know where to start. So he said, I'll, I'll pick the year where I became a Christian. And I'll just start there and, and see what notes I take, or uh, what sticks out to me. 
And then he says this. He says, he's reading about this year, a summary review of the year. And the author of the records said that it hadn't been a particularly good year for the church. Giving was down from the previous year. Mission activity was down. Attendance was down. And then it said this. There were only three conversions over the course of this year, and they were just children. And Tony Campolo, he, he just said he stared at the page, and he got so angry because he said, I was one of those kids. And he said, I, I knew the other two. One, <clears throat> sorry. One had given their life to mission service in Africa, and the other had become a president of a seminary in the States. And he said, I'll never forget that day, because I realized that is, that is the beginning of the, of the end, in terms of a, uh, a vibrant, healthy, church that is seeking first the kingdom of God. It's, it's when they start having the mindset of, it's just children. The Bible from beginning to end declares children to be a special blessing from God. And a, and a massive blessing to the communities of which they're a part. Children are treasures and discipleship to Jesus absolutely requires us to live into the value that children have within God's kingdom. Here's some counsel to parents, parents and grandparents, but particularly parents. I'm not an expert in parenting. I make mistakes all the time. But the, this is counsel that I would give. And maybe there's one or two things to hang your, your hat on here and say, I, I need to hear that. I need to listen to that. I need to pray about that. I need to respond to that. But here's some counsel that comes out of my personal and pastoral experience and, and readings that I've done. Number one, parenting is really difficult, so just don't give up. Parenting is difficult at all stages of parenting, not just when your kids are young. All stages of parenting are difficult. Don't give up. Weariness and exhaustion can set in. We've all been there. I've been there. I understand why it's easy just to drift away and say, well, what are you going to do? It is what it is. And you start hardening your heart behind um, these kinds of uh, I mean, platitudes, these excuses. Don't give up. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Number two, habits matter. Habits become the liturgy of a life. Liturgy is, is the order of service, the way you go through your life daily. Habits matter. What habits are you letting take root in your child's life? Are you trying to set down habits of, you know, um, active engagement in the church, serving your community, engaging the Bible somehow every day, praying with your children. I know when you're a parent and you're in the, especially young families, and the slog of it, and you're tired, it's hard to prioritize these things. But it's important. I was talking to a mom once, and she said, on a Sunday morning, one of the things I promised myself is my kids would never get up and say, are we going to church today? 
They might say, is it church day? But they will never ask me if we're going to church today, because we will. And my kids are never going to wonder whether or not at some point in the day we're going to pray. We're going to somehow imperfectly fumble and try and engage this, the Bible. These are habits that are hard to set down early on in life. But they are incredibly important because Galatians 6 says, don't be deceived, God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And what we reap in that first decade, our children will in large part sow for the rest of their life. So this is important. Habits matter. Number three, disciple your child. That's a Christian word that means teach them to be a student of God's truth and God's ways. Not just generally helping them make it through life, but teach them to know and obey God's truth. Proverbs 22 says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Again, notice the language though. Train up a child. It's intentional. You're to train them, teach them. Our guidance during the childhood years has an enormous influence and wake in the successive decades. We're going to see that as this journey unfolds. It's so important for us to be intentional in discipling our children. And I know when I say that, a lot of parents can feel a lot of guilt because they're like, I just don't know how to do that. I don't know a lot of the Bible. I don't really, I get, I stumble in my own prayers. I'm like, God, thanks for family and keep everyone safe and thank you, amen. I don't even know how to pray. I don't know how to teach my kid to pray. I feel so inadequate. And this idea of discipling your child seems like you need to be a spiritual expert and that's not it at all. You can start in small ways. This is why we're doing our God questions every week. If you just revisit that God question every week, in 2017, you're going to get to the end of the 2017 and they're going to have 52 questions and answers that give them a foundational understanding of the Christian faith. And even if they totally, quote-unquote, fail at memorizing the scripture verses every week, what if they memorized five? Would it be more than they did in 2016? You could still celebrate it. You could still say, we tried to memorize 52 Bible verses this year. We got three. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. You're engaging the Bible every day. You don't have to be an expert. I'll talk about that, a little bit more about that in a moment. But we have to be intentional and take these little steps. And don't, don't underestimate how important those little steps are. Those little moments of prayer, those little moments of let's read a family devotional together, even though our kids are bouncing off the walls. Anything going in, I don't know. I'm going to trust God's word. I'm just going to throw this out there and hope something sticks. Imperfect less than ideal obedience or what we see as less than ideal obedience, God can still use. Number four. In the midst of a whole bunch of stuff happening in life, I think you have to keep parenting simple. So I found that just remembering ABCs of parenting is very, very helpful for me on the ground level of Monday through Sunday. And that is parenting, a lot of it boils down to affirmation, boundaries, consequences. ABCs. Lots of affirmation. I was going to say love. Lots of love there. Totally fine. Just doesn't lead to LBC. Doesn't sound as good as ABC. So affirmation. Lots of affirmation. Noticing things in your kid that are special, unique. Telling them you love them. Being excited. Showing enthusiasm. Reminding them that they're special at night. Reminding them that I'm glad you're part of our family. You can't do that enough. And then B, boundaries. Learning. uh, Making sure you're establishing with your kids here is good, here is not good. Here's the sandbox. You're not allowed to play outside of this line. 
One psychologist says one of the uh, one of the one of the poisonous fruits that we're reaping in earlier generation or in younger generations now comes from the fact that when these kids were growing up, they didn't get enough vitamin N. They didn't get enough vitamin no. And so no, with an understanding of why the no, but no, that's so important for the development of that container for children. So lots of love, lots of affirmation, but also lots of here and no further. And this is why. Yes to this, no to this. And then consequences. Making sure that when they trespass negative things, that there are appropriate consequences for it. But also, when they fulfill good expectations, that there are good consequences for that too. Some families only talk about consequences as a negative repercussion, but they should be a positive repercussion. If I catch my kids doing something, playing well together, I'll say to them, guys, I want you to know, I see you guys playing well together. That is awesome. And as a consequence, let's do X, Y, and Z or whatever. I try and find ways to catch them in the act of being good, not just being bad. And then to give consequences that help them reinforce, yeah, there's blessing that comes from living this way, and there are, not curses, but hardships that emerge when I choose to ignore what my parents or grandparents say is right or wrong. Number five, be a disciple yourself. This is really key. When Peter gets reinstated by Jesus, and Jesus says, feed my sheep, and Peter's denied him, and Peter says, I I totally will, God. It says they're walking along, and Peter notices one of the other disciples, and he says, so Jesus, what about him, though? And Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. Jeff, will you follow me? Absolutely, I will, Jesus. Great. Okay, Jesus, what about my kids? Yeah, I'll worry about your kids. You have a job to do. Your first thing is you follow me, Jeff. Don't confess your kids' sin. You confess your own sin before me. You be just as worried about your growth and formation in me as you are in theirs. I am called to be a disciple. St. Athanasius said, you cannot put straight in others what is warped in yourself. So we need to make sure that we understand part of our role as parents is to be allowing God through his spirit and through his word to be forming us. One of the common themes of people who reject Christianity is some variation on this theme. I never saw my parents open a Bible outside of Sunday. I never heard them talk about God unless we were in a specifically Christian context. We have to be disciples every day, first seeking God ourselves. And then, out of that relationship, helping and learning what it means to parent our children. Christianity is just as much caught as taught. And lastly, and I think this is probably big for a lot of people, and this is advice to parents, this is advice to grandparents, this is advice to everybody. Um, I think it's important to seek healing for a childhood lost. Uh, I'm not naive to people's journey within this community and within um, the broader world. And when I talk about some of these things, love and boundaries and affirmations and, and what children need and nourishment and care, you know, we're, we're, ta- we're talking at a pretty ideal level. And there are maybe some of us who never had that ideal constellation of parenting forces, but it was not bad. Strengths and weaknesses. But there are some people for whom that just feels completely disconnected from their own experience. They don't have a frame of reference from which to 
even imagine what it looks like to experience affirmation and love and guidance, which in turn makes it incredibly difficult to parent in that new kind of way. It just becomes easy to fall back into patterns that are kind of in our bones. And um, one of the most important things we can do as parents is when we're experiencing, when we're not moving forward in a way that we would like to as a parent, to seek help. Go to a counselor, therapist, friend, pastor, um, but kind of doing all hands on deck and to say, I'm embarrassed by this. I don't know why I can't just get past this, but this is a real block for me, and I think it comes out of this, and it's overwhelming. I don't even want to go back there. I just, maybe it's something that you thought you could just avoid, but now it's, it's coming to the surface because of this new dynamic involved in parenting. It's important to seek healing, especially for those of us who didn't experience a childhood that, that moves into anything close to normal or healthy or good. Many people, maybe I would say the same, you might have had uh, people in your life who hindered you from coming to Jesus. There might have been someone who, because of what they did or what they didn't do, abuse, neglect, um, you weren't able to, in a sense, get to Jesus and experience that love and that grace and that truth, that nurture and that care. And I think what I'm trying to say is, you know, that doesn't have to be a life sentence. You don't have to carry that for the rest of your life. There really can be healing and hope and redemption. You can now go to Jesus. And there's, no one's, no one's holding you back. And you can find in him and through him a healing that is powerful and profound and very personal. In Joel 2.25, God says to his people, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. And you might look back on the early parts of your life and say, those were places of desolation and those are places of hurt and um, destruction. And I had a lot removed from my life. I had a lot stolen from my life. Or I had very little built into my life. And God says, if you come to me, I can repay you for those years. That's what redemption means. That's what restoration means. God can restore you in your soul so that now you can move out into the world with new hope and new life. You can parent your children out of a new space and a new heart. And eventually you can grandparent, not just your children's children, but you can grandparent the children within this community in a way that leads to flourishing and hope in life. Lastly, I would call us to remember that our spiritual vibrancy is tied to the children around us. Matthew 18.3 says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's something about the spirituality of children, something about their openness, their eagerness, their humility, that Jesus says, that's the model that you have to look at in order to understand how to move into what God is doing. Children, not just adults, belong to the kingdom of heaven. And children aren't just marginal members 
who we're waiting to grow up before they become useful or valuable to us. They're models in the kingdom of God showing us how to enter that kingdom. And so this morning, I hope we've discovered, rediscovered, remembered how critical the childhood decade is. It's a time of immense formation and development, and it's a stage of life that really sets the foundation for all subsequent decades. And that's why parenting and grandparenting is a high and holy calling. It really does demand your best efforts. But I want us to know that it's a task that you are not equipped for in and of yourself. I really believe we need God in our lives in order to do this task well. I think you can be a good parent without God. I don't think, though, you can be the kind of parent that sets your child up for a life of flourishing and wholeness outside of God's truth and God's grace and God's love transforming your heart and life and then that spilling over into how you parent. May we move forward in our efforts to parent and grandparent with that conviction. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the children in our community. And I pray, God, even this morning, you would uh, just prompt us, prompt our imaginations to consider ways in which we can bless them, support them, love them, affirm them, Would you strengthen parents here, even parents here this morning who came to church amidst chaos and are maybe holding back tears and feeling like they're barely holding it together, God, would you bring refreshment to them? Would there be something in this message that really encourages them? And may we all, God, in a a healthy sense, uh, come to grips with this calling that we all have to help um, impress your truth and your love into the lives of of the children that you've blessed us with. We love you, God, and we pray this in your name. Amen.